0: Please be seated. Good morning, I'm Brandon Barrett. If you're just visiting this morning for the first time, we're glad that you're here. Thanks for coming and being with us uh, today. You find us right at the end of a series on the book of Genesis. This summer we've been looking at Genesis chapters 1 through 11 and talking about the beginning of the story, the beginning of the story of the Bible, and the beginning, uh, therefore, of the story of our own lives, too, as we've seen how... These early chapters of Genesis inform us about who God is and what it means to live in his presence, what is so right about this world, and what has gone so wrong, and what God is doing about that. This morning, we're in Genesis chapter 11, if you'd like to be turning there. If you uh, don't have a Bible, you'll find one under one of the chairs in front of you, and if you don't own a Bible that is in a translation that you understand and is a help to you, then take one of ours, we hope it will be a help to you. Beginning next week, we'll be starting our fall series on the book of Philippians. But for now, wrapping up Genesis. Genesis chapter 11, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. You'll find that on page 8 of your pew Bible. Let's pray together, and then we'll dive in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and and we come right now at your invitation. You have so graciously called us into your presence that we might together sing your praises and confess our sin to tell what is true about us, to hear your words of forgiveness and grace, to pray together, to lift up praise to together to you, and now to pause and hear from you as you speak to us through your word. So would you do that? Would you put your word to good effect in our lives? Use it to comfort where comfort is needed, to convict where conviction is needed, to encourage, to draw us to Jesus. It's in the name of of that very one, our Lord and Savior Jesus, that we pray now. Amen. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and therefore confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord, and it's given for our good and for his glory. So we turn to it now this morning. Uh, Think of this week about, about traveling. My wife and I love to travel, though we don't get to do it very often. Uh, and w- we had one banner day of travel that far exceeded any other that we'd ever had. We uh, started off in the United States. This is all in one day. We went to Canada. We went to Mexico. We went to Great Britain. We went to France. We went to Germany. There's got to be something else on the list. And I'll tell you, we are the biggest fans of Epcot. I mean, it is just... It's amazing. I mean, you can take in the whole world there. And one day, this was uh, years and years ago, but we we walked through the park, and, and you can go from one country to the next, and you can sample the food, and you can hear the language, and you can go on those fun national rides. Um, but here's the thing. After a day of vigorous travel uh, at, the, at the end of the day we hadn't really exactly been anywhere because it's an it's an imaginary world right uh, epcot for all its glory bush gardens for all its glory it, it's not it's like the real world but it's not quite for one thing it's it's a whole lot cleaner than the real world <laughs> who knew that nobody littered in europe but uh, and you step out of that into the real world where things aren't so neat and tidy and where on the on the positive side where things aren't actually as exorbitantly expensive as they are in a theme park there are some good things about the real world but it's 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 not reality though it masks as that now here's the thing this story is about that it's about reality and things that aren't quite reality it's about the real world that god created for us to live in and the Imitation worlds that we try to fabricate to live in instead. Now, we, we read the story and it's it's far from us. It, it, it's long ago. It's a world very different than our own. Names like Shinar, people making bricks out of mud, towers, God stepping down, all feels very foreign to us. But here's the similarity, I think, that. that that the people in Babel are trying to construct their own reality, reality with a small, lowercase r, if you will. And God comes and confronts them with reality with a capital R, real reality, the reality in which God exists and he is at work. Because the people of Babel are trying to build a world, but it's one that is devoid of God, the real God. And so as soon as we start to act and build and live in such a way that we basically say the real God doesn't exist, then we are at that point fabricating an imaginary world. We're the kids making the paper mache project in school that's only a millimeter thick and falls apart in our hands, a flimsy, false knockoff of the real world. But you see, we were made made to live in the real world, where God is king, where he sits on the throne, where he is the center of reality, where we live in his presence and work towards his purposes, knowing and loving and being loved by him. That's the real world. And that's the one that God invites us into. Okay, so we're going to see in this passage, as we look at Babel, we're going to see the ways that we construct an imaginary world. And then we're going to see what it means to live in God's actual world. So first, constructing an imaginary world. That's what's going on here in in Babel. Now, we didn't read chapter 10, but if you were just to glance at that, you would see a long, long list of of names. Okay, now, uh, I can recall in, in high school, when I was trying to read through the Bible and I'd get to chapters like this and it would just be name upon name upon name. I'd flip it up and I'd see that. And I'd just go, Ugh. <laughs> one of those. Okay, God, I'm going to read through this. And I'm sure it's going to really enrich my life. I have great faith. It's going to change me right now because we read that and we, we just don't, we don't have a place for it. It's not the kind of stuff that we write and the stuff that we speak. But if you were here last week, you know, we talked about we talked about Noah and God remaking the world after the flood through Noah and his family. Well, chapter 10 tells how Noah's descendants then spread out, how the nations flow from this one family and how they're then going to populate the whole world. So chapter 10 is this big picture of the nations spreading out. And chapter 11, our, our text this morning is one little slice of that somewhere in the middle of the genealogies. It's the chapter 10 is a big picture of what God's doing. Chapter 11 zooms into this one incredibly significant point of human history in this place uh, called Shinar as this city of Babel is built. When we look down here, what we see is the Babylonites, the Babylites, the people from Babylon. Uh, when, when, when you read here "Babel," this word in, in Hebrew, everywhere else in the Bible is translated as Babylon, and that would have had uh, incredible resonance for God's Old Testament people. The, the people of Babylon are the ones who hauled them away into slavery. If you read ahead in the Bible, the book of Genesis, or excuse me, the book of Revelation speaks of God's great enemy. Uh, use metaphorically speaking of it as Babylon, as this city that set itself against God. This is where it starts, in the city of Babel. And these people that spread out here um, are doing a few things. One, they are on the move. They go through, and here it says a la- the land called Shinar. This was Mesopotamia. It's modern-day Iraq. And as, God's, as, the, as people spread out from Noah, they uh, travel, and they come to this place called Shinar and what we see here is the very first thing that these people do is they reject the real god real god and his call on their lives you see what the narrator says about them look in uh, Verse 1 and verse 2, the whole earth earth had one language and the same words. As people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Okay, As they migrated from the east, other translations other than the ESV tend to translate it as as they migrated to the east or as they went eastward. And and the significant thing about that is if you've been reading Genesis, you know that any time it talks about the east, something bad is about to happen. right? Because when Adam and Eve, when they uh, are kicked out of the garden, they're kicked out to the east away from God's presence. And when Cain kills his brother Abel, he's pushed out even further to the east, away from God and his people. So here we find out these people moving to the east. And it should prick our ears as we think, oh, no, what is coming, what is coming next? They are unsettled. Okay, They are traveling, they're dispersed, and they want to settle down. I mean, think about it. They, they, uh, they, they are um, travelers in a foreign land. And they're exposed to the elements and they're exposed to the dangers. And their thought is we need to band together so that we can be safe. I mean, who wouldn't want to settle down after living a life as a nomad? Because the wilderness can be a scary place. Uh, I, I know that because of my experience camping. Now, I got to tell you, camping, it's, it's a sore subject in my family because Elizabeth and I in all our years have never been camping, and the reason for that is that she has never in her life been camping, and I have, and I know what camping represents. Because here's what happens when you go camping. You go out, and the first night that you're out, under the stars, you know, you cook something, you burn something over dinner, over the fire, and uh obliterate some marshmallows and then you look at the stars and then you lie down in your tent to go to sleep and there's about four different roots that are under your back and you just can't get comfortable so you spend an hour and a half just trying to find just the right spot and about the time you find that spot and you think you're finally gonna be able to settle down you hear the rustling out in the leaves And you start to imagine what it is that's lurking outside your tent that is ready to devour you. And that's your whole night's gone at that point. (laughs) Sometime around 4.30, you nod off, and about 5.15, the sun comes up, and so do you. And then the second night, you are so utterly exhausted that you lie down on your sleeping bag, and you are out like a light until approximately 2 a.m., When the heavens open up and it just pours raining and you in your sleep, you just roll over and you touch the edge of your tent and the water just comes pouring in. That is camping. And any sane person wakes up the next morning and says, I want a hot shower. I want a dry place to be. And I want to get out of this. And that is what these people are saying, too. Look, we're nomads. Let's settle down. What is wrong with that? Only one thing. And here's the one thing for them. God has told them that they are supposed to spread out over the world. He's given them directions, and it's the opposite of this. Last week when we finished up with Noah, if you remember, when Noah gets off the boat with his family and the world starts over, God says this uh, to him in uh, chapter 9, verse 1. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. You see, God was reiterating to Noah and his family the very command he'd given to Adam and Eve. He said, go and be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, take care of it, build culture, go out into the world, go. Go and be a blessing to the world. And these people don't want to do that. Their very first step is disobeying God and his call on their lives. And why do they do that? It says, uh, verse 3, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They made brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and, and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Dispersing them over the face of the earth is exactly what God wanted them to do. They don't follow his plan. Why? Maybe they're scared. Maybe because the world's a big and unknown place. and." Trusting God can seem so intangible and ethereal at times. But you look around and you say, here's some other good, competent, strong people. Let's, st- let's just stop. Let's build a city for ourselves. Let's settle down and be protected. I'm not sure I can trust God, but I think I can trust these people around me. world's a risky place. Maybe they didn't want anyone telling them what to do. Not God or anyone else. They're going to live life the way they want to. How, whatever it is that leads them into it, they take the first step in building for themselves an imaginary world. They take the first step in building Epcot for themselves, a world away from God and His voice and His call on their life. They begin constructing a world of their own. So the first step of that is they reject the real God. The second thing they do is they commit themselves to a new goal. Look at what it says in verse 4. Come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And what? Let us make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. Forget what God has called us to do. Let's stop right here and let's make a name for ourselves. We will be great. We will be the glory of all the earth. We are going to do something now. Let's make a name for ourselves. Here's the thing. When they reject God's call on their life, his direction for them, the purposes that he's given them, they can't live and we can't live in a meaning vacuum. They can't live in a world in which they have no purpose, when they have, where they have no meaning in life, where they don't have a sense of calling. And the same is true for us. Okay, if you're a student, think about it this way. Maybe you know the semesters when... It's very clear to you what you're trying to accomplish. Here's my major. These are the classes I've got to get through. It's a part of one step down the journey I'm trying to take. And you're locked in on the mission for the semester. You do the work. You study. You hammer through it. And that's just how you get things done. But then maybe you've tasted those semesters when you're like, I don't know if this is the right major for me. What in the world am I doing? And who dreamed up these stupid classes anyway? Right, What bearing does this have on my life? And suddenly, when that sense of purpose is gone, what happens? You find yourself adrift. I can't make myself sit down and study. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I don't even know what my major is going to be. What, you know, or at any phase in your life, when, you, when we lose track of a sense of vision and mission, what happens? We're aimless. And if that lasts long enough, uh, we're depressed and we're in serious need and desperate straits because we, our hearts have to have something to keep it on track our hearts have to have a sense of purpose and meaning and God came to give that to them but they turned away from it and so they have to find meaning for themselves somewhere else and their reflex thing then is we're going to make a name for ourselves we're turning away from the real God and we will do this thing ourselves, we're going to build a city and we're going to build a tower and it is going to be admired by the whole world this tower that they build, it's interesting to see what is going on for them there when they build this. Because, again, the first thing is they reject God's plan for them. Second thing, they, they make a name for themselves. But they do that. Third thing, here's the third thing they do. They become religious. They become very religious. And it's interesting because they've rejected the real God and walked away from his purposes. But there is something in them that longs for the divine and they can't get too far away. So they reject the real God and they pursue gods of their own making instead. Because it says when when they say, let's build a tower, what they are thinking about is a tower that stretches up to heaven. If you remember, and for many of us it was many years ago, our uh, ancient history classes, you remember a ziggurat? Those four sides, it looks like a pyramid, except the sides aren't smooth. They look like staircases going up in the ancient Near East. Those are what temples look like. When you live in a world with no skyscrapers, and your house is one or two stories tall and made out of brick. You look and you see the ziggurat, and that is, that is pointing straight up into heaven. It is the temple that literally reaches up into the heavens. And that's what these people say. We are going to go build a tower. We are going to go build something that's, that reaches up to the skies. We are going to take heaven by force. In fact, this city, Babel, uh, the Babylonians, when, when they gave the etymology of their own name, Babel or Babylon, in their language, they said that it meant the gate of the gods. That's what that's what the very name of their this city and their culture is, the gate of the gods. And it was centered around this tower, this ziggurat that they're building, that they might approach heaven. And on the top of that temple, there would have been a, a room to receive the gods as they come down, and there would have been a place to make sacrifices so that they could get what they wanted. Because here's the thing, if you're building the tower to touch heaven, you're the one who's in control. I mean, you're the one calling the shots. You built the tower. You're the one who stuck it right up there into the heavens where the gods dwell. You're the one who makes the sacrifice and invites them down. And You're the one at the end of the day that looks at the gods and says, look at all that I have done for you. I want good crops. I want children. I want prosperous blessing for our city. You see? They build the tower, and they say the religious convenience store is open for business. Bring your quarters, put them in, hit the button, and get the product that you most want. They become very religious, a religion where they have their hands on the gods. Now, we don't do this, or do we, right? We don't ever pray prayers where we say, look, I did this for you. When are you going to produce for me? Never prayed those desperate prayers in the middle of a midterm where you think, Lord, I know that I have not studied, but I know that you are God, the creator of all things, and you can give me the knowledge that I need right now. And if you do, I promise I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll do it. God, this relationship is falling apart. I will do whatever you want. Come in and make it work. God, I need this. I want that. Are you going to come in and give me the religious product that I need as I push the button on the vending machine maybe we do the same thing ourselves and maybe we're most aware of it when we don't get the thing we wanted when we hit the button and nothing happens and we say things like this look look what i've been doing for you i've done it all right i studied for the exam and now i'm blanking i've been moral and upright and good not like everybody else around me why aren't you producing for me why did this happen in my life where are you Maybe we're not so different in the ways we can become very religious so that we can get what we want out of the gods. Now, what imaginary world are you pursuing? Because we're all trying one way or another to construct a world that we can manage and control. The problem is those worlds, when they deviate from God, they take us right out of reality and into the imagination Maybe you're, a, uh, maybe you're a William and Mary freshman here, and this is your first year in school, and you, you were the valedictorian in your high school. You had a name, and you came to William and Mary, and you found out that everybody else on your hall were also valedictorians at their high school, and frankly, nobody cares how great a job you did in high school, and you're starting at square one again, and you think to yourself, I have got to make a name for myself all over again. Or maybe you come to Williamsburg because you've retired and you, you moved to Williamsburg and you buy your house and you got a little study. And as you move in, you, you, put your, um, you put your degrees up on the wall and the certificates and the plaques that you got through your long and outstanding career. And then at some point you realize, nobody cares. They don't. Because nobody around here knows you. And you realize, I had made a name for myself. Now I gotta buck up again and make another name for myself. Start to feel starts to feel oppressive, doesn't it? Maybe you're a new parent. We got a lot of those this year. Um, now, I mean, as if the pressures of life weren't enough, now now I've got to be the stellar mom too. And now I've not only do I have to have everything in place when I come to church too, but my kid's got to look cute and he's got to have a matching diaper bag and. You know, now here I am a new father. I've got it. Now I've got a. Here's one more area of life where I'm going to have to make a name for myself and get it right. That's what these people in Babel are doing. When they do that, what do they miss? They miss God and therefore reality. Because when we are busy constructing our own little worlds and winning names for ourselves, we miss God and therefore we miss reality. Okay, that's the first half of the story. Second half of the story, we find out what it means to live in God's world. Because the people of Babel get a surprise when the God of reality, the capital R reality, steps down and surprises them. And we see a few things here. One is that ultimately God's purposes prevail. Look at verse 5. Here they are talking about all they're going to do is they build this tower to scale heaven how they are going to reach up into the skies and grab hold of the gods then verse 5 the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built now if you've been with us these last number of weeks this is remember this is the same god who created the whole world out of nothing who said stuff and it came Who spoke words and everything was created, the same God who, at his word, sent the flood in the time of Noah and saved but one family and the animals out of all the earth. Okay, this is a God who is in control. This is a God who's not surprised. But yet here we have this beautiful picture where God is in one way dealing with them on their own terms, right? We're gonna build a high tower, we're gonna storm right up into heaven. That's the that's the ground up view. What's the heaven down view? God, with his angels, that's sort of the, the group that's in, in, when he talks about we, that's who he's talking about. He looks around, he says, look down there. I wonder what that is. Let's go down and find out. Wow, it looks like maybe it's a tower. I don't know, it's so small, but I guess that's what they're trying to do, right? You, I mean, you get sort of the sense, he's, it's, it's flipped, it's flipped the scene here, and God comes down to this mighty tower. And God looks and sees what they're doing. He knows what they're doing. He looks and he sees and he says, here they are, they're trying to scale heaven. If we do this, if we let them do this, what happens? If we don't put a stop to this, they're never going to stop. If we let them continue to build Epcot Center down here to live in their imaginary world, they're never going to come back into the real world. We're going to do something. We're going to put a stop to this. Because this is not the way it's meant to go down. So, what does he do? He confuses their languages. So, suddenly, whereas there are one people uniting with one language, now they all speak different languages. Our kids' uh, children's Bibles are great on this. You know, you've got guys talking to each other, saying one thing, and they misunderstand, and they don't, you know, nobody knows what each other's saying, and they get angry at each other, and everybody goes off in their own direction in a huff. And it says near the end of the story in verse eight, he says, so the Lord dispersed them from there. Remember, dispersion was the whole thing. God was sending them out over the earth. They said, let us build a tower so we won't be dispersed. And when God shows up, when the real world shows up, God's plan just moves on as he intended it to. Because reality has stepped in and has called them to account. God's purposes rev- are prevail Uh, Secondly, because God's purposes prevail because God is making a name for himself. All right, that's what they say. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We are going to be something. But you see, the whole Bible talks about God making a name for himself, where he literally looks at humanity and says, no, 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 the starting point is not you making a name for yourself and saying we are something. Let me tell you something. I am something. I am reality. Come to me. Begins here. Now, when we see our friends or neighbors or people around us uh, sort of having that sort of inflated sense of I am really something, we look at them and think this is both ridiculous and offensive because it's just not true. But think about this for a minute from God's perspective. God is good. He creates people to be in relationship with himself. What is is a good creator going to do? He's going to give his creation the very best thing he can find for them. And what's that going to be? God looks around in the universe, and the very best thing in the universe is himself. See, when God makes a name for himself, he is simply magnifying for us and giving to us the very thing we need most in all the world. We were made for a relationship with him. And so when he says, I'm going to make a name for myself and call people to myself, I'm giving you your very heart's desire. What you were made for. I'm calling you out of all your pretend worlds and bringing you back into reality reality is good. He is making a name for himself. When he looks down at these people making a name for themselves, remember Babel in their language meant the gate of the gods. as God looks down, he says it says that he brings confusion and in Hebrew the word for Babel means confused. He says, I have a different spin on what you're doing. This is not the gate of the gods. The real God is coming down and leaving you in utter confusion because the imaginary worlds always ultimately leave us in confusion until we come back to the real world, come back to the real God. God is making a name for himself. And from there we see that God gives a name to us. And the Bible is filled with them. Here's a few of them. Son. Daughter. Beloved. Those are the names our God and Father come to give to us. A better name than we can make for ourselves. His purposes prevail. He makes a name for himself. And then thirdly, God frees us from religion and gives us something better. Think about religion, the religiosity of these people. Building this tower for heaven so they can have Control over the gods so they can direct the gods in their own futures. The real God comes down, steps literally into the middle of this story, and says, No, let me tell you about the real God who has shown up. And we see that very real God step down not only in the Tower of Babel, but step down in the person of Jesus. Here's what John chapter 1, verse 14 says The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God continues to step down and come after us. In the incarnation, God taking on flesh, He says, God, reality is coming for you and after you. Coming after us. When He does that, He frees us from all our false religion, all our attempts to get a hold of God, to grab onto His coattails, to see if we can finally somehow be good enough to get his attention, make him turn around, pay attention to us, give us that little thing that we've been asking for. He says and all of that is imaginary world. The real world is the God who created the world, who watched us walk away, and who has come after us in Jesus, bringing forgiveness and healing and life. God says that is reality. That's reality with a capital R. And God invites us, invites us into that real world away from all our pretend world in which he is present and engaged and committed to loving his people. A world in which God is committed to making a name for himself, where his purposes stand at the center of reality. And we come to that knowing God by following Jesus, knowing him that puts us square in the middle of the real world. And when you step into faith and follow Jesus, you spend a life of discipleship, a life of living out, learning to live out what it means to live in the real world. Having our eyes open and seeing, oh, here's one more spot I didn't even see. I've been living in pretend world. God cares about this too. Oh, look what I've been doing over here. Acting like God doesn't exist, like He doesn't care, like He doesn't love me. He comes there too. He's inviting me into reality there too. Christian discipleship is simply learning to live in the real world, reality. One of the things it does, it makes us start asking different questions, not how can I make a name for myself, but questions like this. What does God want from my life? What career does he want me to pursue? What what does he think about the kind of person that I should marry? What does he think about raising kids and how I ought to think about that now that I have children? What's God up to on my hall with all these people around me in my neighborhood? What's he doing? What's he doing in our city? What is he up to? What would he have me do with my money, my time, my gifts? We start asking questions like this. How can my life fit in God's real world rather than how can I take the real God, toss him out the window, construct something Easier to manage and try to cram it into my life. You see, we start with God. How does my life fit into His? Where is He inviting me in? Not about what we do for God, but beginning with what has God done for us in Christ? Reality stepping into our lives. Now let me just say this one thing in conclusion. Here at the very beginning of the Bible, we see languages being confused and people being dispersed, sent out over the world in confusion, being yanked back into God's purposes for them. And near the end of the Bible, when you get to the book of Acts, you see this dramatic event at the birth of, God's, of Christ's church on the day of Pentecost when His disciples, His followers... After receiving the Holy Spirit, step out into the city of Jerusalem and open their mouths to preach, and out of their lips come different languages, all the languages of the world, and people who are gathered in Jerusalem for this great feast from all over the place suddenly hear the wonders of the gospel, the good news of Jesus being proclaimed to them in their own language. I mean, do you see what's happening? God steps down in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis to use language to throw everybody out from each other as they have rebelled. And in the end of the Bible, what does he do? He comes back, and in the beauty of all those different languages, he speaks to each of those groups and says, There is, in fact, a unity to be found, not in building a city of our own and making a name for ourselves. But he says, I am building a new reality, a new people in Jesus. That's what draws us together. That's what gives us a connection and a purpose and a place. Not storming heaven, not building the city so that we can avoid God's purposes in our life, but by stepping into them as God calls his people together. The church, God's redeemed people experiencing God's presence, the real world coming to us. And if you have come to know Jesus, that's what's happened. The real world has come blazing into your life. Are we living in it? keeping our eyes open are we looking to see how god's real world is to pervade everything around us where are the ways that we are pretending still and would we be brave enough to pray that god would strip those away and show us reality again because when that happens we get something better god's presence in every nook and cranny of the universe and in every nook and cranny of our lives let's pray Father, we do pray that You would continue to draw us deeper into reality where You are found. Let our eyes be open to make sense of our lives through Your presence as we see that this is Your world, that it's called to Your purposes, that You've come, that we might know life and know it to the full through Your Son, Jesus. May we know and celebrate and live in reality and there find You